0: Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good and or for ill. No character is sacred, survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised. ...as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for Adventure Awaits, listen in to the Legends from the Fireside. Welcome back to Legends from the Fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, we learned more about Talagor, the Master of Fear... And the methods he uses when dealing with those he employs. The party met with a man named Silverfingers, a pawnbroker in Oak Hollow, an old friend of Finn's, who offered them a quest. Their quest was to retrieve a stolen parcel, apparently containing dangerous alchemical components. These alchemical components were suggested to have something of a dangerous quality to them. If they were to be inhaled, the victim would fall into a deep sleep. While stopping at the crossroads trade post, the party ran into a man named Ekon, an assassin, who desperately wanted to join them on their quest. He suggested he knew the location of the hamlet named Leda, where the parcel was suggested to be. The party slowly began to realize just how unstable Ekon was. Once the party found the Hamlet of Leda, they realized that fighting the gnolls that were encamped here was going to be no simple task. Ekon, however, hot-headedly engaged them in battle. Unfortunately, though the party won the day, they suffered grave losses. Ekon, Finn, and Nem fell in battle, leaving Morris and Tariad behind. Marius and Tariad had located the parcel that they were sent to locate, And they escaped wounded, but with stolen riches. Chapter six, Part one, Day eight, night. Party status: Morris, four out of eight hit points. Tariad, two out of five hit points. The two panting, bleeding, and worn-out adventurers finally planted the chest of stolen goods onto the ground and stopped to breathe labored breaths beneath the stars of Delagrad. It was a cool and clear night, yet neither could appreciate their good fortune. Teriad, who was heavily wounded, turned to Morris and said, I don't think they'll follow us any further, but we need to start thinking about our camp. We can't keep running all night. Maris replied, if we just travel it ways further and reach the road, I'm sure we'll find a safer place to sleep than out here in the field with all of this, as he gestured to the chest. Tariad, not looking to argue, fine, that's a good idea. I'm sure that Hemwall will have some sort of kindness to offer us if we continue. And so. After a moment of gathering their breath, the two pick up the chest again and walk under the stars to the road. I'm gonna roll for a random encounter just in case we reach anything or anyone in the way. Alright, I rolled a 1. Maybe Hemwall has a blessing for these two. Or maybe he's preparing us for a TPK. I rolled on the next table and I got humans again. Okay. Now I get to roll a d20 and let's see what I get for what kind of humans we have. Oh no. This is not going to be good. Almost to answer their prayers, the two saw a campfire twinkling in the distance between the trees. Darian, do you see that? Do you think. do you think it's a blessing of Hemwall after all? Tariad replied with a grin. Of course, Maris, of course it is. And so the two walked over and Tariad greeted the people around the campfire with hands outstretched to show they were not here for a fight. Fellow travelers, we come in peace and seek only refuge and safety among you in your camp. The three around the fire looked to each other and a wicked smile formed on the face of the meek and cruel-looking robed man. Please, come forward. I'm going to roll for a reaction here. Not a reaction for the party, but a reaction for these guys. There may be a chance that our heroes will realize something is not exactly, well, trustworthy here. All right. Two D six and I'll add one. I got a nine. Well, I guess this means the party is very trustworthy. Let's hope they can see their way through this. The duo, feeling the fatigue from running in the battle, decide it would be best to rest among these strangers who seem rather welcoming. The robed man was well into middle age, his hair stringy and thinning his frame willowy and slender. He smiled as the two entered the camp proper, introducing himself. My name is Salisbam. Aero Salisbam. These are my accomplices. As he pointed over to a barrel-chested and broad-shouldered looking warrior, Welgar. And as he pointed to a white-haired, half-elven looking woman, Felia. We are traveling to Castle Gantil, west of here, to meet with an old adventuring companion. Pray tell, where are you headed to? And better yet, where the hells have you been? Teriad and Morris glanced at each other quickly, then, with a subtle exchange of thoughtful looks, Teriad replied. We were sent to retrieve an important parcel. Knowles had taken it from a merchant, and we fought hard to retrieve it. Morris chimed in melancholically. We lost a few of our own companions in the fight. It was a bloodbath. Salas Bam leaned forward and rested his chin on his bony knuckles. My gods, what a nightmare. I can imagine you haven't let them trail you here?" Morris replied, still glum and feeling the weight of the battle settling in. No, no they ran off in the opposite direction. They wouldn't know where we went. Salazbam nodded, considering this. And you managed to take some of their treasures as well? Morris looked up from the flame at this point making eye contact with Salisbam, then shifting his sight to the other two strangers. Teriad answered, Yes, we were blessed with treasures after the terrible battle we had survived. Pensively, Salisbam nodded again. Isn't that interesting? I suppose we are all very lucky that you stumbled upon our camp this evening. Yes? With this, Welgar and Felia began to shift, grabbing their weapons very slowly, Welgar brandishing an ornate and gently glowing spear. As Maris and Teriad realized what was happening, Salisbam began to wheeze a sinister laugh. (laughs) How very lucky we are! Here's what we will do. You will step aside from the chest, throw your weapons over to us, and you will not do anything foolish. Morris and Terriad, pained by their terrible luck, did as they were told. And as Morris gritted his teeth, stared at Welgar, the warrior, as he smirked back at him. The Half-Elf began quick work at expecting the chest, and in moments, she popped the chest wide open. She let out a small whistle when she saw the gems and the coins within the chest, and waved over both Salisbam and Welgar. Salisbam held up the parcel that Silverfingers had asked them to retrieve, and Teriad and Mara slowly began to recall the warning that Silverfingers gave them about the material inside. Silverfingers had specifically warned them that the substance was something of a potent sleeping agent, and, he mentioned, it was an inhalant. Terry at this moment looked up to the stars and over to Morris, muttering under his breath, I think they're there with us, Morris. They're here. Morris, not understanding what this could mean, slowly recognized what he could have meant by that. Welgar, looking back at them, having heard them muttering, shouted at them, Cut it out, you two. We'll deal with you in just a moment. Salisbam popped the lid off of the jar and looked within, with Welgar and Felia looking in as well, over his shoulder. As soon as Salisbam looked at the fine powder, he inhaled gently and sneezed, puffing a huge cloud of powder up and into the faces of all three. As they began to panic, swatting at their faces and coughing, they began to slow down in their efforts. And in a matter of moments, they toppled to the ground in a heap. Morris and Teriad were speechless, dumbfounded by this luck. They took a moment to gather themselves before leaping up and grabbing the things that were removed from the chest and throwing them all back in. Morris stopped for a moment and looked over Welgar, and especially his spear, which seemed poised perfectly for the taking. Tariad, did you really mean it when you said you think they're here with us? Because I think Nem might have helped out with that one. And Morris picked up the clearly enchanted spear, feeling its perfect balanced weight and looking over the impossible filigree all the way up the shaft. For a moment, Morris paused and thought about what Nem might do at this time, and quickly grabbed the golden ruby ring off of Welgar's hand. Teriad followed suit, grabbing the jewelry off of Salisbam and Felia, and a single potion off of the half-elf's belt. I'll have it known. I don't believe this is right. But certainly, it feels justified. We will have time at the nearest tavern to discuss why you're wrong later on, Teriad but we don't know how long this stuff lasts, so scoop it up let's get the hell out of here. After carefully putting the lid back on, loading the chest again, and shuffling out of this camp, they traveled through the night and well into the morning, not stopping until they reached the crossroads. Are you looking for a d and podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Chapter 6, Part 2 Day 7 Party Status Morris, 4 out of 8 hit points Teriad, 2 out of 5 hit points As Morris and Tariad walk into the walled crossroads trade post, Morris slipped the guard at the gate 10 gold pieces to not mention having seen him at all. The two march up to the Silver Spoon Inn at about midday bloody, filthy, and the two of them request a secure room. The innkeeper recognizes their look of fear and despair, and he didn't ask any questions. He accepted their money with a nod, and he said to them, I'll bring you a meal to your room and uh, a few pots of warm water to clean up. Teriad smiled and nodded at this gesture, and the two of them carried on to their room. The party ate their meals and cleaned up but not knowing how close they were to those they had just escaped they decided to leave again in the evening after sleeping for a short while for this reason the party will forgo their healing but they won't be affected by exhaustion later on that evening the duo hear desperate and starving locals in the tavern who explained that their village had been raided by the one named talagor two days before. The nearby village of Red Meadow was terrorized by Talagor and his bandits. They called for the mayor Jadon to come forward and relinquish control of the settlement. The mayor stood his ground so Talagor used the magical pipes to instill him with fear and as he ran from the village Talagor sent bandits to chase and hang him. The people terrified Begin to run out of this village, and off into the night, as the bandits begin to raise the various important buildings, such as the local temple, the village, the storehouse, etc. As the party leave in the evening, they are confronted with the reality of the trouble the region is dealing with. There are children wandering about, begging, and a small group surrounding a spit outside the crossroads, cooking something that smells positively awful, Morris' disgust, they appear to be roasting a giant wasp, of all things. As he recalls the agony of his run-in with a giant wasp just a week before, he struggles to keep from getting sick. Chapter 6, Part 3, Day 8 Party Status, Morris, 4 out of 8 hit points, Teriad, 2 out of 5 hit points, after Teriad and Morris manage to walk the road to Oak without running into trouble, they find their way to Silverfinger's pawn shop. Knowing that Finn is dead, and he was their only real connection to Silverfinger's, the duo realize this may be a very difficult conversation indeed. For this reason, I plan on rolling a reaction check. I'm gonna take a minus one penalty because of Teriad's low charisma score. I'm going to take an additional minus two penalty, because of Finn's passing. Alright, let's see what I got. A nine. Well, minus three, and it's six. This could have been something good, but now it's neutral. Let's see. Upon entering the establishment, Silverfingers greets them with a very confused look on his face. I see you have returned. And with the parcel, no doubt. "'But I am curious. Where has Finn gone to?' Terriad opened his mouth and began to explain, in the kindest terms, what had happened. "'But Silverfingers knew what had happened before hearing Terriad out. "'Forget that,' I asked. "'This news saddens me greatly, and I'm still willing to pay you for your work.' You did as I requested, but I'm afraid this will be the last job you do for me. He was a good friend, and this was surely not where he ought to have seen his end. I'm afraid I will not be able to look at you, or you, the same after this. But I wish no ill will upon you." Nodding their understanding. Morris, being pained again by the stark reality of what has happened to his friends, he was brought nearly to tears. They accepted their 200 gold coins each and went on their way to the Smoke and Sap Tavern. Solemnly, the pair get one room each and enjoy some much needed rest. Since this is the first truly uninterrupted and peaceful rest that the duo have, this seems like a good point to evaluate their xp. Between the gold pieces, gems, and jewelry they have earned on their quests, it raised their xp well over the requirement for level 2, meaning that they both leveled up. We can now discuss the mechanics for leveling up. So during a level up, I'm going to roll for their health and I'm going to also roll for stat increases. This is a house rule I've seen quite a lot of people use And frankly, I think it adds something to the game. Since we don't really see ability score increases like you see in many other editions, this has an opportunity to let the characters grow in a way that is incremental, random, and in a way, it forces me to roleplay and explain why that bonus even exists. So, let's go ahead and roll for health. For Maris, I have to roll a d8 and I had no bonus. All right, I got a two. So Morris's maximum HP now goes to 10. All right, Tariad. I got, oh, a six on a D6. He has a minus one to his health because of his low constitution score. So it brings it down to a five, maxing out his HP at 10 as well. Interesting. So, now I'm going to go down the line and roll a d6 for each of their ability scores. And we'll see if they get any bonuses. So, for strength, I'm going to roll a d6 for both Morris and Tariad. Alright, I got... Oh! Wow! Look at that luck. A 6 for Morris and a 4 for Tariad. I think it makes a lot of sense why Morris' strength would go up here. Being a warrior and engaging in this kind of combat, I imagine he's probably developed quite a bit of strength, if not fighting finesse. This bonus also gives him a plus one on all attack rolls and damage now. Way to go. All right, for the next stat, for constitution, I rolled... Oh, double ones. So neither of them improve at this point. I could understand after such a harrowing journey and suffering such wounds, it would be unlikely that they would get a bonus. Okay, dexterity. I got a 6 for Morris, and a 2 for Terriad. Looks like Terriad's not getting much out of this, but with the same argument I made before for the combat expertise that Morris is developing, a 6 in this dexterity gives him a plus 1. Doesn't grant him any bonuses, but it goes to show he's probably honing his craft. Alright. Next, Intelligence. I got a 5 for Morris and a 1 for Tariad. Bummer. Wisdom. Alright. A 6 for Morris. Wow, 3 stat increases. If I get another one, I'm going to be very surprised. And... Oh, a 3 for Tariad. I imagine that this bonus in his wisdom probably comes from hanging out with Terriad. Not only has he grown a lot of perspective after seeing so many of his friends pass away, but having Tariad there to provide an optimistic spin on it all probably helps him a lot with understanding how the world works. Granting him this perspective definitely helps out with granting him additional wisdom. Okay, the last stat is Charisma. I got a 3 for Maris and a 4 for Tariad, so Tariad got no stat increases. However, Tariad does have the ability now to cast spells. I think the first spell he's going to pray for in the morning is Cure Wounds. Dramatis Personae, Aero Salisban. Arrow Salazban was a cruel and wicked mage. He was not one to be messed with, not one to be mistaken for a fool in any way. Much of the lessons that Salazban had learned in his life were learned at a cost. Though he was a very brilliant and bright child, that could only take him so far. Being a very poor boy in a very poor family He did not have very many offers in life at a great and bright future. So, he did what anybody with a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and a bit of a lacking in a moral compass would do. And he did the unthinkable. Salisban lived within the city of Thedal. His father worked at a guild hall where he helped crafting barrels. His mother was never around and his father often referred to her in very unsavory terms, often suggesting that she ran away so that she could go back to work on the corner. Within the city of Thedal, Salasban had seen the Magical Academy. It was not much. A couple of towers close together with a small building in between. On warm summer nights, You could see smoke rising from the windows. Strange odors always came from the buildings, and he could tell something was happening inside. Something... strange. Being a young boy with not much to do, he spent a lot of his time peering in windows, sneaking about, and he learned what he could from listening. One teacher in particular that had worked at this magical academy was a brilliant transmuter named Gedmer the Grey. Salisban had spent many nights listening to his lectures, and he had spent quite a lot of time listening to him in his personal laboratory with his students and assistants as he went over different projects and experiments in the magical arts of transmutation. On one particular evening, however, Salisban learned something that would definitely offer him quite A chance to make something of himself. A wealthy merchant had stopped by and come to speak with Gedmer. He talked about how he had a nephew, a very dim-witted and dull nephew. One who was looking to study under his great tutelage at the Magical Academy. The merchant said he was willing to pay quite a hefty price in order to have his nephew receive the teachings he deserved. Gedmer knew that this student was not going to learn much, and he was always willing to have someone pay a little bit extra in order to get an easy bit of internship work out of somebody. Gedmer was not necessarily an evil man. He was just practical. At this point, Salisbam knew he must take advantage of this opportunity. The merchant himself hadn't met with the nephew in quite some time and was doing his sister a favor by offering this money. And so Salisbam waited near the entrance to the magical academy for the day that this young student would arrive. A week later, a cool summer evening with the coastal waters bringing a wind of chilly air in over the city of Thadol A young man, the age of 14, the same age as Salisbam, had walked off of a boat and was headed for this building as was described to him in painstaking detail and even provided with an image in the shape of the two towers and the building in between. He walked timidly off of the boat and up the street looking for this building. Unfortunately, what he found instead was a young boy laying in the street. Evidently, he had been beaten and robbed and left for dead here in the street. This young man knew very little about the terrible things that a street urchin like Salisbam could do, but perhaps his heart was just too large to allow cautiousness to keep him from a good deed. But as he walked forward and reached down to check on the child in the middle of the road, he flipped him over and Salisbam lay there, limp, with his eyes nearly rolled back in his head. He muttered something under his breath to this very kind stranger. Please. I don't think I have much time. What is your name? The young man who had stepped off the boat choked a little bit and then said back to him. My name? My name is Ero." Arrow. I I'm not from here. Is there something I can do to help you? What is it you have come here for? Not picking up on how strange a question this was, the young arrow leaned in and held the boy tighter and said, I've travelled from afar. My my uncle. He's gotten me a position here. With a powerful wizard. I'm here as a student, but is there something I can do for you? At this moment, Salisbam snapped his head to face the young boy, Arrow. He looked him dead in the eyes, and he said, You've done quite enough. And he buried a dagger deep within the boy's belly. Covering his mouth, he dragged him in between a couple of the buildings, and finished the job he had started. Taking off his clothing, redressing as the young boy, Arrow, Salisbam, now Arrow Salisbam walked back out of the alleyway, leaving the body behind in the refuse, continued up the road a few blocks before making it to the magical arcane towers. He knocked at the door a few raps, and the door opened wide. An assistant, one that Salisbam had known well, greeted him at the door. Handing over the pedigree and the signed letter, Salisbury introduced himself as Arrow, a student from afar, one who was here to learn much. Now, many years later, many memories locked away of the dark deeds he had done before this point, Salisbury looked up from the fire at the two people he had hired to join him on his quest a broad shouldered man named Welgar. And a half elven woman named Felia. He looked back and forth between the two of them, smiling a little bit before looking back at the flame and smirking to himself, a small, wicked smile. Welgar chimed in at this point, breaking the silence. So tomorrow you say we have to meet with the man at the castle? Don't you think that's a little strange? Now Would you be so foolish as to believe I would march into any situation unprepared? Welgar, you must trust me. Felia, who was never known for saying much, chortled silently to herself for a moment. Giving her a bit of a glare, Salisbam looked back over at Welgar. Hear my words and listen well. If we are successful... We will shape all of Delagrad to our liking. And we will be very, very wealthy. I promise you that. And nothing will stand in our way. There is a man named Talagor. I will meet with him. Apparently, he has a deed for us to do. And I am excited at the prospect of learning much, doing little, and making quite A lot of money. Welgar began to smile at this point. A very dumb smile. One that was easily entertained by the bright, illustrious nature of coins. Salisbam knew just what to say to silence him and his fears. He looked over at Felia, and he said, I promise, we will get what we came for. At this point, all three of them turned and looked behind their camp. The sound of two men talking in the distance, the sound of coins jingling within a chest, and two men began to slowly approach, until finally one of them blurted out, Hello? Hello? We come in peace. We are travelers. An evil and very wicked smile crossed Salisbam's face, as he winked and nodded to the others at the fire. Thank you for listening to an episode of Legends from the Fireside. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. Some of these reviews may be read at the end of episodes. You can also reach me at Legends from the Fireside on Twitter or you can email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.